Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So once upon a time in the bustling city of San Francisco, there lived two co-workers, and we'll call them Liam and George. Both worked at a tech startup. Uh, we'll make this one up too. It's called Code Cloud. And they weren't just colleagues, but they were also roommates. They were sharing an apartment in the heart of the city because the rent was just astronomically priced. But Liam also had an inexplicable love for cookies and especially the chocolate chip ones, which is absolutely the correct answer when it comes to what is the best cookie. They were his lifeline and his ultimate comfort food. But then his roommate, George, on the other hand, was this fitness freak who believed in a very healthy lifestyle. And he often let Liam know that those cookies were not very healthy. And he had just this infallible determination that he was going to resist all temptations. So one day, Liam bought a box of these gourmet chocolate chip cookies that he had found in the heart of San Francisco that were darn near uh, like gold to him. $5 a cookie, I think they were. And he'd been dreaming of these things for weeks. He could not wait to get these cookies. He had read about them. I think he'd seen some video on TikTok about them. And just he finally was in possession of these gourmet chocolate chip cookies. So he carefully placed them in the kitchen cabinet. He was looking forward to treating himself after a long day at work. They were actually going to be a reward for him completing a project. But when he came back home, he found that box empty. And it had to be George. It was, of course, it was George. So despite George's usual determination, George had succumbed to the allure of the cookies. The smell just got to him because they had just emanated throughout the entire apartment. And Liam absolutely and pretty justifiably felt betrayed. So the incident led to an incredibly awkward tension between the two. And that was going on for days. Because after all, this cookie fiasco was not just about a box of cookies. It really was about trust or in reality, this breach of trust. And George knew that he had to make amends. Now, to give George credit, he didn't gaslight Liam. He didn't say, I thought that they were there for you and me both, or I thought that you had told me that, or really, you think that I'm just a fitness freak and I don't ever eat sweets? No. George said, I, uh, I did. I, I ate the cookies, which already was just a huge, huge um, win from my standpoint. But he said his betrayal was not intentional. Now, that's hard for Liam to believe because it's hard for Liam to think that that wasn't pretty intentional for George to just go in there and, and eat those cookies. But he said it wasn't intentional, but it was a mistake. Good old accountability. And at that point, George began his quest to regain Liam's trust. Now, he started with an apology, but a mere sorry wouldn't cut it. And oftentimes, there are people that would say, look, I said I'm sorry. And Liam or George would have been putting that back on Liam, which isn't very fair either. So he actually needed to do something bigger, something bolder, something much more ingenious. So then one evening, George came home from work a little earlier than usual, and he had devised a plan which involved baking. And George was not a baker. And despite his non-existent culinary skills, he was determined to just bake the best batch of chocolate chip cookies that Liam had ever tasted. So he spent hours watching YouTube videos. He had an incredibly messy kitchen. He had failed a couple of times. It wasn't like he was going to get this perfect on the first attempt. And maybe even after an accidental fire alarm later, George managed to bake a somewhat decent batch of cookies. 
Now he carefully placed them in a box, trying to literally recreate the look of the gourmet cookies that Liam had bought. So when Liam came back home, he was greeted with that familiar aroma of freshly baked cookies. And George handed him the box. He looked nervously hopeful. Liam opened the box. His expression was puzzled. And then George apologized again for the great cookie betrayal. And he confessed his baking adventures, even pointing at the minor burns on his fingers as evidence of his sincere effort, not trying to say, hey, I want uh, sympathy or, or empathy because I even burned myself in the process, but it just had happened. Man, Liam just burst out laughing. His anger had melted away. His precious cookies had become the subject of this epic baking disaster. So the humor in the situation was evident. So he took a bite of one of George's homemade cookies and he winced. Because it wasn't, it really actually wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad either. And they had a laughter even over George's cooking disaster and how that had actually allowed them this opportunity to grow closer as friends. Now, that does not mean that they were grateful overall that, that George had eaten the cookies, but it had happened. And that trust was not instantly rebuilt, but George's efforts and their shared laughter was this step in the right direction. And after that, George made it a point to replace any cookie he even thought about taking from Liam. So their relationship did improve over time. They learned to trust each other again, just basically one cookie at a time. So therefore, this great cookie conundrum turned into a humorous tale about how a box of cookies helped mend a broken bond. Two friends became even closer friends. So today, we are going to not be talking about cookies but we're going to be talking about trust. And while I hope you can see that that was, yeah, it was a humorous story, but there are some com- there are some components in there that are absolutely underlying in how we break and rebuild each other's trust on a regular basis. So we're going to cover that and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Welcome to episode 378 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from turning to pornography as an unhealthy coping mechanism. So go to pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, as well, go sign up for my newsletter, please. It's in the link tree link in the show notes of this episode, or you can just go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up there. And this will be the last and final push in talking about this year's Sex Summit 2023. I think I mentioned this in last year's episode that I was asked to be a part of this in the past. I, I did not participate, but I really um, enjoyed my involvement at this point. I did a a seminar as part of one of 31 experts, relationship tools you don't know you need, tips and tools born from 15 years of practice with over 1,500 couples. But there is a ton of information in this seminar that is talking about trying to restore or revive or reinvigorate your sexual and emotional intimacy. And this is an entire experience that delivers, you name it, there's a topic about sex and intimacy. I believe it is it is covered and with relevant or applicable practical information. And there are very, very specific presentations on all things sexual. 
So if talking about uncomfortable things is uncomfortable for you, but you have always wanted to uh, dig deeper in your relationship around verbal or not verbal around the physical intimacy, aka uh, sex, then this seminar is a great place to start. And you can, there are links as well in the show notes and then go or go to the link tree. But the cost of the seminar is $35. And I think I joked about this last time. If you break down my hourly rate, this is about what you pay to sit on my couch and recap a little bit of the week before we dive into the deep end of whatever you're dealing with in your relationship or as an individual. So I've got the link there. And then for $80, you can actually get their 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023 seminars So the links again will be in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about trust. And I want to take a couple of different angles on this topic today. And I've come up with a lot of good, I I feel like they are good examples. I'm trying to go more into the world of example because I think those examples stick. And we're going to take a a few different angles on this topic of trust today. So the story about the cookies, obviously is made up and it was just there to make a point about how quickly trust can be eroded in a relationship and can feel much heavier. I know when that erosion comes not from learning about uh, somebody eating cookies, but about this deep trail, things like infidelity or learning your spouse has been looking at porn in secret for a long time, maintaining otherwise, or you learn that he or she hasn't been honest about the finances. Or you learn that your spouse has been talking about you to a neighbor behind your back and I could go on and on and on. So the first angle I want to talk about is I covered this, I believe, all looked in the archives all the way back in episode 200 and I want to say 27 of the virtual couch back in 2020. And this is this is from a transcript from a podcast that I really enjoy called Invisibilia. This is an NPR podcast and this came from season six, episode seven in an episode called Trustfall. And so I'm going to pick it up with, there is the the host, I believe it's Hannah Rosen. So I'm going to refer as Rosen. And then there's someone that she is talking to with the last name Carrie. So this is in the transcript. So Rosen says, so people might say, okay, somebody's in a bad mood that day. He's in a bad mood that day. But what they don't do is really speculate why. Why is he like this or what's going on inside of his head? And in context, I believe that she was talking about somebody that had gone against the grain and betrayed somebody's trust, broken somebody's trust. And then Carrie jumps in and said, there's a complete absence of speculation about other people's interiorities. I like that uh, concept about what is going on inside of their brain. And Rosen said, they have a fundamental assumption that you don't really know a person. And what that means is that if somebody betrays you, it's not such a shock. Like it doesn't surprise them that a person just does a thing that they didn't think that that person was going to do. What, What she's talking about, again, in context is that we have a fundal, we have a fundamental assumption that we we really do know who somebody is, and so when they do something that we don't think they should do, then they have broken our trust. And and Hannah was Hannah Rosen was starting to look at this different angle where what if we looked at at saying that the fundamental assumption is that we really don't know a person because this is what could lead to more curiosity. Now it can feel really heavy because we may not make as much meaning if somebody does betray us or break that trust, but this is not going back to that concept again of uh, acceptance that somebody has, that acceptance that we don't really know who a person is because there is that understanding that have we really let people know who we truly are. So is this just one of those things that we have to accept about life is that we're all playing this this cat and mouse game of how much do we share and and what do we really know about somebody else? And when we can reframe that as what an opportunity to be curious and learn more about somebody else and yourself, then the uh, breaking of trust 
doesn't look like this all or nothing behavior, but it can actually be something that can start to lead to more curiosity about why that person did what they did and why that means a certain thing that it does to you. So she said, if, if you're working again from this fundamental assumption that you really don't know a person, and then what that would mean that if that person betrays you, then it doesn't mean that they were doing that maybe intentionally or because they wanted you to hurt. So then it may not be as surprising when that person does this thing that you didn't think that they were going to do. So then the person that uh, Rosen was talking to, last name Carrie, said, when somebody here betrays our trust, what happens is we have an idea of who they are and they behave in a way that runs against that idea. We say to them, I thought you were different. I thought you weren't like that. How could you do that to me when I, ha- I had this idea of you? And she, she proposed, she said, it's a, a little bit of a tyrannical way to behave, that I have this idea of you, now you have to conform to it or the relationship is over. And I go back to those concepts of, of Mar- Marshall Rosenberg's uh, nonviolent communication where, in essence, I'm saying, hey, I have observed you doing a lot of things and I have made a judgment about you. And this is that judgment is final. So I need you to perform and do things that I believe you would do based off of this judgment that I've made of you. So now if we're going to have a conversation and you, you see it otherwise, now you're not even being honest with yourself. And hopefully you can see that, that that can be a real challenge in a relationship because it's almost this concept that inevitably those that you are around are going to, uh, I think I'm air quoting, break your trust. It's inevitable because you have made a lot of assumptions and, and observations and judgments about others. And we do it to ourselves as well. Rosen says, so basically, and they were talking about a particular author of a new book. She said, so basically he's saying that we're stuck in this binary. We either totally trust someone or they betray us, and then we're done with them. But she said this other way of thinking, uh, this author calls it mistrust with a capital M, and that's the name of the book that he wrote about this. It's called Mistrust. It just gives you more or less a third option. She said, this is so hard to get your head around. It's basically like saying, trust people less, and that's a more liberating world. And then Carrie said, have more respect for the fact that you can't know them and that their behavior might sometimes betray you or let you down. So I feel like there's, again, this acceptance that if I accept the fact that this person is going to do things that I am not, that I am surprised about, that I was not aware of, and that may shock me a little bit, then I'm not all of a sudden being so put off or just so um, just in shock when somebody does something because it's what they did. It is what they did as them. And we then are making a really big judgment on it. I'm not saying that then we're just, uh, oh, I have to let go of all of my thoughts, emotions, and feelings. Oh, the contrary. We're going to allow you to feel all those feelings. And part of that is going to be a little bit, I don't want to say easier, but you can lean in more when you're accepting the fact that I, I really don't know what I don't know about someone else. Because how often am I trying to figure out my own stuff? So how could, it, how could I be the person that knows something about someone else better than they do? Now, love him or hate him, there's a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. He has some really interesting information about marriage and trust. So here's what he said. He said, there is no marriage that is successful without trust. And he said, you have to tell each other the truth. And that may sound easy at times, but it is not. And Jordan Peterson goes on to explain. He said, telling the truth to somebody is no simple thing because there's a bunch of things about all of us that we feel are terrible and weak and reprehensible and shameful. And all of those things have to be brought out into the open and dealt with. And he said, this is why true honesty can be so difficult because we all have baggage and we all want to hide it. 
And as Peterson said, there is a natural tendency to avoid being open with someone who could then run away screaming when you reveal who you are, because we do not want to be alone. We don't want to be abandoned. And it's for this reason, Peterson said, that humans make marriage this inseparable bond. He had a funny quote where he said, I am going to handcuff myself to you and you're going to handcuff yourself to me. And then we're going to get to tell each other the truth and neither of us get to run away. And once we know the truth, then we're either going to live together in mutual torment or we're going to try to deal with that truth and straighten ourselves out and straighten ourselves out jointly. And that's going to make us powerful and more resilient and deeper and wiser as we progress together through life. And I just feel like that's one of the most, um, I don't know, honest, insightful, kind of beautiful descriptions of marriage that I've, I've heard in a while that Peterson is getting at a truth that every married person knows that marriage can be absolutely humbling. And when you get married, you are essentially giving a person the power to destroy you. The marriage becomes this act of uh, mutual submission. Can I trust you? Are you there for me? Those are these tenets of uh, emotionally focused therapy, my couple's therapy of choice. And Sue Johnson, the founder of EFT, Emotionally Focused Therapy, that this is where she, this is a quote from her book, Love Sense, where she said, the message touted by popular media and therapists has been that we are supposed to be in total control of our emotions before we turn to others. Love yourself first, and then another will love you. But our new knowledge stands that message on its head. For humans, says psychologist Ed Tronick of the University of Massachusetts, the, the maintenance of emotional balance is a dyadic collaborative process. In other words, we are designed to deal with emotion in concert with another human, not by ourselves. We are actually these attachment-based creatures. We're born these little pink, squishy babies that rely on somebody for our sustenance, for our life. We aren't rhinoceroses who can go off after 30 minutes after being born and go kill our own food and then go about our lives and all autonomous. So that whole concept continues moving forward, that we are continually searching for someone and saying, are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? Do you love me? Now, the, the goal is that still to become this self-actualized, uh, differentiated, interdependent individual and who doesn't need that external validation over time and who knows that they are enough, that they are good enough because you are. But that process of getting there can be really difficult. And especially if you get into a relationship with somebody that is emotionally immature or even bordering on those narcissistic traits or tendencies where if the, the goalpost moves continuously and you are trying to establish a, a connection with another human being to, to see, am I okay? Again, you are, but part of that human process is we're questioning that regularly. So that can be really difficult if those goalposts continue to move. And that's where I feel like even in that world of emotional immaturity and narcissism, you can be looking at what will definitely fit under the definition of betrayal, betrayal trauma, even because you are handing your soul, your life, your heart to somebody and saying, am I okay? And they're saying, well, what do I, what can I do with this? What do I need out of the, out of you today? So I'm going to take that heart and manipulate it. And that is absolutely this form of betrayal. And when that trust has been broken, it can be really hard. I'll go back to Jordan Peterson's example. And uh, sometimes I feel like we're willing to just go ahead and cut our hand off at the wrist if we handcuff to this other person, because we feel like I would rather go through life with one hand and a stump than have to just be sidled up to somebody that has continually broken my trust and betrayed me. So this is what led to, I felt like a really interesting conversation with my associate, Nate Christensen. So we get to meet every week and just talk about all the things therapeutic and things that we want to, maybe projects that we're going to work on. And he brought up this concept of trust. We were talking about a particular, we were running over a couple of cases and he was talking about, well, I often talk to people about trust and I talk about these four components of trust. So I said, oh, tell me more, which if I just 
a little bit of that insider baseball stuff, which I think is so fun, is that I have therapists as clients who will often talk about when they were going through the intern process and then they were meeting with their clinical supervisor, that sometimes that clinical supervisor was emotionally immature enough that the, that they were not there to hear from their intern or their associate, no, I am here to espouse knowledge upon you. And just from just wanting to model the things I preach, that if we're having a conversation, why on earth would I be the keeper of all knowledge? When Nate started talking about these four components of trust, I recognized these amazing moments where one in their more emotionally immature state may then come up with their own, oh, uh, you've got your four components of trust. Tell me what those are, because yeah, I've got five, five components of trust. And then when he goes over them, that they are... uh, there are these benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. And then I say, oh, you've got those four? Yeah, trust. Uh, do you have pixie dust on there? Because that's very definitely one of the components of trust that I, I'm very familiar with and I've worked with thousands of couples on. But no, um, it's okay to say, I don't know. I was not familiar with these. So Nate sent me an article from his grad school program that the author talked about four components of trust. So he said that he was actually drawing on a definition, this author was, that actually comes outside of psychology from these researchers, McKnight and, uh, and I think it's Cheverny, and the information sciences. And he says that we can think about trust as consisting of four different things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, for the next probably about 20 minutes here, I want to talk about what these four things are, because I feel like this is a real, really good example of ways to rebuild trust because I often hear people say, how on earth do you go about rebuilding trust? So I want to talk about these four different things, benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. So the author said benevolence essentially means, is this person a kind person? And I'll just kind of, let me just lay all these out and then we're going to go into each one in detail. He said, integrity means, is the person an ethical person? Competence means, do they have the ability to do what needs to be done? And then finally, predictability means, does this person behave in a way that I can consistently forecast? So starting with benevolence, and I think this is interesting because if I think of benevolence, I think of a benevolent king or that sort of thing. And we don't want to have that that kind of one of the people in the relationship is is royalty and then the other person is just so grateful for the benevolence of the king and or queen. But by definition, benevolence is this quality of being well-meaning or kind-hearted. So it's this it's a disposition to do good to be generous, to care for others. A a benevolent person acts more out of a desire to promote the happiness and well-being of others. Now, this is not saying that they are doing this from a place where they lack a sense of self, but they may be so self-actualized or so self-confident in a good kind of confident way that then this is how they choose to just be, be present, be in life, that they are about the service of their fellow man because they are good because they don't continually withdraw, because they don't want to deal with any discomfort. They don't continually look for unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with to deal with that discomfort. But they are in a place where they are being well-meaning and kind-hearted because they're coming from a place of confidence. Their emotional baseline is high. So I told you I have a lot of examples today. So let it, let's just say once upon a time, and we're talking about a small picturesque town lived a wealthy man. We'll call him Mr. Alfred because I had some client a couple of days ago talk about a series that's on now. I think it's called Pennywise and it might be about the butler from Batman and his origin story. So I'm very curious. I love origin stories. And I believe the butler's name was Alfred. Um, when I was just jotting down notes, I I will call this guy Mr. Alfred. So Mr. Alfred was always ready to, to lend a helping hand to, to really help. So whether it was funding a school's building a new wing of a school or supporting the town's hospital or anonymously sending groceries to struggling families. He was this unseen benefactor behind countless good deeds. And this is where you know that a lot of those 
deeds that were going done behind the scenes are because he was not looking for the credit. But one day, the river, the river in the town, and this is funny because it, I was, as I was creating this narrative, I thought of uh, someone that used to be in the area that was part of our church, and they lived in a floodplain, and it seemed like every year we would go put sandbags around their home, and some of the years it was after the water had already ran through their home. It made me think about this. So, let's just say this river that was the town's primary source of water started to dry up. And now this threatened the livelihood of many of the people in town who relied on the river for farming and for fishing and travel and tourist uh, tourist destination. So the situation starts to look bleak and there was a whole bad vibe, a somber mood hanging over this town. And then upon learning the situation, Mr. Alfred decided I can help. So using his resources, he brings light and a team of engineers. They find a solution after a lot of hard work, sleepless nights. They devise a plan to create a sustainable irrigation system and the town's water supply would not run dry again. So in no time, this project set into motion. Everybody in the town cheers, and the river was replenished. The green returned to the fields. The faces lit up with relief and gratitude, and all was well in the land. And when they discovered that it was this Mr. Alfred who had saved their livelihoods, they wanted to thank him, but he politely declined accolades, saying, hey, the joy I see in your face, that is thanks enough. And from that day on, this story of Mr. Alfred's benevolence became legendary. And what was good about it is that it inspired others to to provide acts of kindness and generosity and also to be benevolent. So this benevolence when it comes to rebuilding trust, that if somebody is is acting from a place of kindness in their heart and being benevolent, that is easy to start to trust that person because they don't have necessarily this agenda of why they are doing what they're doing. Let me give a, an example of a couple. So let's just call this couple Grace and Ethan. So they had a strong marriage for several years, but then trust between them was strained when Ethan, just overly consumed by his work, began neglecting Grace emotionally, and he missed important dates. He rarely engaged in really meaningful conversations, which she so desperately wanted, and he just wasn't very attentive to her needs. And we're talking emotional needs, whatever it would be, physical needs, all the needs. So then Grace felt neglected, and she began to question Ethan's commitment to the relationship. Now, recognizing that there was a growing distance between them, Ethan was able to sit with that discomfort and and take that in and then self-confront. And he said, okay, I need to rebuild trust. So when you look at it under this concept of benevolence, then he says, okay, I got to rebuild trust by demonstrating benevolence. So he understood that he needed to show kindness. And here's the key about benevolence, genuine interest in Grace's well-being. So he started to be intentional about making time for Grace, setting aside dedicated hours each day to talk, to listen, to simply spend quality time, not just time, but quality time. And he made it a point of remembering important dates. Now, this is going to mean he's going to have to follow through on things and maybe write things down and can't just do the, well, I always try and forget. No, what an opportunity to continually self-confront and grow. And he tried to celebrate these important days, milestones with her and, and do it enthusiastically. And then he also took on more responsibilities around the house to ease her burden. As he started showing more interest in Grace's hobbies and passions, then they started to feel a mutual bond and she's continuing to express interest in what he cares about as well. This isn't necessarily a one-way street. So even though he didn't share her love for painting, for example, that he was willing to sit with her in her studio and appreciate her work and even try to paint as well, because again, that's going to require sitting for discomfort and not being selfish and not just always doing the thing that one wants to do for themselves. So over time, Grace starts to notice that change in his behavior because he's showing kindness, attentiveness, a genuine, genuine interest in her well-being. So she starts to feel valued, cared for, and she starts to restore that trust. 
So by showing this benevolence, Ethan demonstrated his willingness to put Grace's needs in the forefront or she became more of a priority. And as he invested time and energy into that relationship, now this is not saying that he was ignoring his needs. There is no part of the story that is saying, okay, so then he just gave up all of his hobbies, passions. But this is where I feel like as, as individuals, we are the only ones that truly know what we are going through and are we spending our time in a productive way? And I'm not saying that no one deserves downtime, but if somebody is just saying, I just don't have time to spend with her, But in reality, if he's saying, hey, I feel uncomfortable spending time with her because we're not doing things that I want to do. Now, if that is what it feels like to be you, then own that. And maybe that that isn't what is in the best situation for the relationship, because what if your partner deserves somebody that cares about what they care about as well? And I think the key is that if your brain keeps going back to, as I tell these stories or this narrative of that, okay, so I just have to give up everything that matters to me to then go meet her needs. I am absolutely not saying that because the more that you can find your authentic self and live in accordance with your core values, then what it feels like to be you is somebody that just feels more alive and then is able to show up better because now you're able to be confident in your own ego and your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So you can show up in relationships and not then take things so personally. Or you can look at things as any kind of discomfort or any, again, any kind of tension is opportunity for growth to make you a better person. So I think this example just shows how benevolence in a marital relationship by demonstrating kindness, understanding, and a genuine interest in your partner's well-being can help rebuild trust. So the next, the next component of rebuilding trust that uh, the author of this article talked about is, is integrity. Now, by definition... Integrity is this quality of being honest and reliable, having strong moral principles. But this is what I like about this concepts of of trust is that it's about being true to one's word, about being true to the commitments and values, even when nobody's watching. I think we hear that definition often, or even when it's difficult to do so. And I think what is so good about this is being true to one's word and commitments. I've been almost uh, confirmation biasing or hyper fixated on how many people come into my office and talk about that someone had promised to to do something for this person with this person and then they don't follow through they back off and it really has me looking at i think people really are well intentioned and that if somebody says hey do you want to go to this i don't know do you want to go to this concert with me and the other person says i absolutely do i think that sounds like an amazing idea then they may really want to do that. In that moment, it sounds like an amazing idea and it makes everybody feel good. We like to feel good. We don't like to have that discomfort. Now, they may even go a step further, even buy the tickets at that point, even though the event is a long way off. But then as they get closer to that event, if they really feel like, you know, I don't really like the person that's performing and uh, I'm on a different page with the person that I had initially said that I would have, uh, that I would invite to come along, then rather than just talking about that being being honest or taking ownership of that then we can you know I, I know people will ghost people they'll just go completely dark or they'll make up some excuse or instead of just being honest and being uh, true to their word and and honoring these commitments because that is absolutely one of these key components of building trust so talking about integrity so integrity is this this, I guess, well, no, not a guess. I mean, this article, I, I appreciate what this author is saying. It is this foundational element in building and rebuilding trust. So when trust is broken, it's often because a person's actions did not align with their words or values, demonstrating this lack of integrity. 
For example, if a friend promises to keep your secret, but then they reveal it, they've broken your trust by not adhering to their word. So to rebuild trust, demonstrating integrity is crucial. So this means making a conscious commitment to align your actions with your words and to honor promises. Now, that doesn't mean that if something else comes up, you can't you can't change or back back out. I'm trying to overthink my words here. You can change your plans, but take ownership of that and communicate that to the other person, even if it is going to be uncomfortable, even if there's a potential that it may get contentious, because over time you are becoming a person of your word, which is going to help people feel like they can trust you. They can rely on you. And even better, you are going to start to learn that that discomfort goes away. And that people will learn to, I really do believe, respect you more. And it feels better to be you if you start to be a person that lives in, from this place of integrity. And it involves admitting when you're wrong, taking responsibility for your actions, accountability, making a genuine effort to make amends. And this is so interesting to watch adult human beings not be able to say, I'm sorry, not be able to say you're right, not be able to say, I didn't know that. And not be able to say, my bad, or yeah, I did. I I completely spaced that. I did forget. You're right. I didn't even think about letting you know, because that sounds so insensitive, but I would much rather have somebody come from that place of honesty and integrity than when somebody is just making up a story, and I'm going to go almost into that world of, of the energy, the vibe that that puts off, is how often do you feel like I really do understand, I really do not believe what this other person's telling me. Because you can just you can see it all over their face. If they say, you know, I'm really, I, I really uh, forgot and I didn't mean to do that and I had other plans, sometimes I want to say, hey, uh, tell your face and your body the this story that you're trying to tell me because your face and your body are betraying what you're trying to tell me. Let me give an example here. So consider a, a company that has misled its customers about the quality of its products. So to regain that, uh, that consumer trust, the company needs to demonstrate integrity. And I feel like you may can think of companies that have done this or that have done the opposite of this that might come to mind right away, because this could mean publicly acknowledging a mistake, taking steps to improve their product, ensuring transparency in their processes, making a firm commitment to, to put the customer first. So integrity involves this consistency of actions, values, methods, principles. It's about doing the right thing, even when it's difficult. And when trust is lost, demonstrating consistent integrity can help rebuild it over time. Let's throw this in a, an example of a couple we'll call them Olivia and Jackson. So they've been married for a few years, but recently their trust in each other has been shaken. Jackson, in an attempt to protect Olivia from stress, and again, this is where he felt like he had the utmost good intentions, had hidden some financial troubles from her because in his mind, he will figure it out. But when Olivia discovered this on her own, she felt betrayed and she felt like she couldn't trust Jackson because he had not been honest about their finances. So recognizing this mistake... Uh, Jackson could gaslight up a storm, but instead he decided to rebuild trust by demonstrating integrity. He sincerely apologized for his dishonesty, and he made a promise to be open and transparent about their finances in the future. So he started sharing every financial detail, whether it was good or bad, included Olivia in each financial decision they had to make, again, even if it felt uncomfortable. And to show his commitment to transparency, he also opened up his personal accounts to Olivia. He proposed to have weekly financial check-ins. And this was a significant step, not only in being honest about their financial situation, but also in showing Olivia that he had nothing more to hide. And again, over time, it takes time. Over time, Jackson's actions began to rebuild the trust that had been lost. 
She appreciated his honesty and his efforts to include her in the financial matters. Did not mean that all those conversations went well because you still are allowed to have all your emotions. And even though the financial issues were not solved overnight, she felt reassured knowing that Jackson was facing them with integrity. So through consistent honesty and transparency, he showed her that he was committed to acting with integrity, which starts to rebuild trust in the relationship. And this just shows how demonstrating integrity in the form of honesty and openness can be crucial in reestablishing trust in a marriage. So we have two more concepts. We'll get through these quickly. Competence. The author said competence, and that refers to the ability or skill to do something successfully or efficiently, and it involves having the knowledge, the skill set, the aptitude to perform tasks effectively. Competence is going to also require taking ownership or accountability of things because sometimes for some reason it's scary for us to admit that we don't know how to do something. So that goes back to this core fear of abandonment that if we aren't perfect that the other person is going to run run away screaming. Wait, this person, I thought they were perfect, but we nobody is, I don't feel that anyone is expecting their partner to be perfect. So competence is this, it's, it's truly a vital component in building and rebuilding trust because when individuals demonstrate competence in the things they do, then they instill confidence in others that they can reliably perform tasks or fulfill roles that they are saying they can. And so that's why this, uh, this competence really is this fundamental element of trust. So when trust is damaged, it often means that somewhere along the line, competence was compromised. So for example, if, uh, you know, if a professional makes a very serious error on a project due to negligence or lack of understanding, procrastination, or anything like that, their competence and therefore trust starts to come into question. So in order to rebuild trust, you, you must be able to demonstrate competence. And this can involve admitting past mistakes, taking steps to improve or refine skills, and consistently delivering high quality results because you are delivering results on things that you feel competent of. And if you do not feel competent of those things, you are willing to admit it and then get help or delegate or just say that this isn't something that really is of interest to me. And that's why it's so important to communicate openly and effectively and and set clear expectations about what can be achieved and then meet or exceed those expectations. So for instance, I was thinking about this in the world of, of an auto mechanic. If a mechanic incorrectly repairs a vehicle and it starts to cause further issues, which I've had this issue before, then they would need to rebuild trust with the vehicle owner. And they could do this by first acknowledging their mistake, making the repair correctly, maybe at no additional cost, and perhaps even providing a guarantee on future work. And by doing so, they would demonstrate their competence and their commitment to quality work, which can help restore trust. So let me give you a couple's example. We'll call this couple Maria and Carlos. So they've been married for several years. However, lately, Maria has been feeling overwhelmed with household chores, managing the finances. And Carlos, though he means well, has not really been very involved or competent in these areas. He often forgets due dates on bills and uh, he isn't able to help with the kids' school activities. And this lack of competence has strained the relationship, leading to a breakdown in trust because Maria feels like she cannot rely on Carlos. So recognize the problem, Carlos makes a commitment to become more competent in these areas to help. And that will help Maria and it will start to rebuild trust. So he starts learning how to manage the household finances. Again, what discomfort he must face because growing up, he felt like that was his, I mean, that was his role. That was his job as provider to be also captain of finance. But then when he would try to do that, he would feel such shame or or just have so much embarrassment or discomfort that he just did not want to get behind it at all, which left Maria having to pick up the slack. So again, he learns about due dates, budgeting, saving. He has to make an effort to become more involved in the children's school activities, learning about their assignments, making sure he's available to help when needed. 
So over the next few weeks, he starts to follow through on his commitments and he takes over some of the financial responsibility, ensuring the bills are paid on time. Even does this budget that I'm, I've heard so much about, kept a budget. He starts helping with the kids' school projects, learning about their academic needs. A lot of discomfort along the way, but an opportunity for growth. There is growth and meaning in the discomfort and in the tension in a relationship. So Maria begins to notice the changes in Carlos, and he starts to demonstrate competence in areas that he previously had not, making her feel less burdened. She could rely on him more. But part of that also comes with Carlos being willing to sit with the discomfort of admitting when he doesn't know how to do something, or he doesn't know, he's very confident that he won't have the time to do something. So he does have to say no on occasion. But his actions show that he's committed to improving the relationship and being more of a dependable partner. So with his newfound competence, trust is gradually restored in the relationship. So what happens? Maria starts to feel less overwhelmed. Carlos is pleased he can effectively contribute more to the household, and they both feel a renewed sense of teamwork and trust. There's that word again. Trust is being rebuilt in the relationship. So the final one is predictability, and this is the quality of being expected based on past behavior or trends. So it refers to the ability to be consistent and dependable in behavior, responses, or actions, and that will enable others to anticipate what will happen or what one will do under certain circumstances. So this is the good version of this. This is not the, well, I thought you would do it this way. But if over time we're, we're building these principles of trust, now when we look again at predictability, then I can predict or count on that someone is going to follow through or do the things they say because, because they will, because they have done a lot of work in these other areas. So now they are showing uh, competence and they are showing integrity. And, and they are also showing this benevolence. They're kind human beings and you can count on them. Their word is truly their bond. And then they admit where they have these failings or weaknesses where they are not competent. And they, if they are going to commit to something, they are going to become competent in that thing, which is going to lead to predictability. So it plays such a role now in rebuilding trust because trust is, is really fundamentally then about this reliability and consistency over time. And so when a person is predictable, others can depend on them and act in certain ways to then fulfill their own commitments, which in turn fosters trust. So when trust has been compromised, then increasing predictability can help restore it. This means having a consistent and, and or behaving in a consistent, reliable manner. And it is honoring your commitments and meeting your expectations. Because if others can predict that you will do what you say you will do, there's the key. It's not trying to say that someone else needs to be able to read my mind. But if they can predict that I will do what I say I will do, that that means that then when I say I will do it, it builds trust and it eases anxiety. And that person can now go about their day or do their things that they need to do because you are predictable. You, they can trust you. And part of that then is knowing that then if you say, hey, I am so sorry, I'm not going to be able to fulfill this, this thing that I had promised I will do, it will come with grace because, oh, I know that you are only telling me that you can't do it because something has come up. And I trust that you are making a decision that you need to make. And so I can make accommodations because you are very predictable. So again, if others can predict what you're going to do or what you're, that you're going to do what you say you'll do based on your consistent actions, trust can gradually be rebuilt. So imagine a, at work, a team leader who has this tendency to make last minute changes to project plans. I have been there. This unpredictability can create trust issues within the team because they can't rely on their leader's plans. So sometimes it leaves the people on the team almost paralyzed because they start to feel like, well, 
it really almost doesn't matter what I'm going to do because it's probably going to change at some point. So then if the leader wants to rebuild trust, they can start by making a commitment to minimize change and adhere to the established plan. So by consistently following through on this commitment, the leader can become more predictable, helping to restore the team's trust over time. So again, predictability, showing others through your actions that you can be relied on, which is a critical critical aspect of trust building. Let's finish things up with another example, a couple's example. We will call these people Alice and Ben. So they've been married for several years. However, recently their relationship has been strained due to Ben's unpredictable work schedule. He often stays late at the office. Sometimes he doesn't come home for dinner and he doesn't give Alice any notice. So this lack of predictability has created feelings of resentment and mistrust in Alice because she feels she is absolutely not a priority for Ben. So to reestablish trust in the relationship, he decides to try to be more predictable. So he makes a commitment to Alice that he will communicate his changes to his schedule as soon as he knows about them. Now that might come at the, I want to say wrath, but I'm being dramatic, but Alice doesn't have to be super happy about it. She can still have her feelings, but he's honoring this commitment. So he promises that he will be home for dinner at least four nights a week and that he will inform Alice in advance on the days that he can't make it. And over the next few weeks, it isn't perfect, but he follows through on his commitments. He communicates openly about his schedule. She's not always happy about it, but she says, I appreciate you letting me know. And he comes home for dinner more consistently and he informs Alice well in advance when he can't. And he's also mindful to check in with her throughout the day, making her feel valued and included. Boy, does that come up in my office often. Alice starts to notice the change in his behavior. His actions are more predictable. And again, it's a good kind of predictability. And he's honoring his commitments. And this allows Alice to trust Ben's word. And she begins to feel less anxious about their relationship. And with his newfound predictability, trust is gradually rebuilt in that relationship. And she starts feeling more secure. Ben feels happier seeing the positive change in their relationship. So I think that this example shows how predictability, even through these consistent actions and open communication, really does help rebuild trust in a marital relationship. So I know that was a lot of things today, but I hope that you can see the importance of trust, that that it is inevitable almost that if you are in a relationship with someone, friendship or marital relationship, that It can be difficult because we think that we know a person and then we make such meaning about if the person doesn't behave the way that we want them to. So again, it's in essence inevitable that trust in little ways and in big ways is over time going to be broken. But if we can look at these opportunities, all of these opportunities is a chance to self-confront either one of you or both of you and then grow. So if I am very frustrated because I have learned that my partner is not consistent, then that is going to make me mad and I am going to feel the feelings and they could be a lot of different feelings and I can express my emotions and hopefully if the other person is on the road to emotional maturity and you use the good old four pillars, then you can have a connected conversation. But if not, then I still would love to help you recognize that it is an opportunity for you to self-confront. Why is this so difficult for me right now? And it is maybe because I don't feel seen and I don't feel heard and I don't feel understood. And I want that in my relationship. And no, that is not too much to ask, but that might mean that, okay, now I I need help or we need help. And now I got to bring that up. And I don't know if he's going to be very supportive. And if he's not, then he's not because I've made an assumption that he would want to repair the relationship, but you can still go do things for you. And that doesn't, I'm not talking about you go be selfish, but you, it is, it's the good kind of selfish. You go start to do things that matter to raise your emotional baseline so you can show up and be the best human being that you can be. So trust, 
those four things that I really think are make so much sense now as we broke those down is benevolence, this overall kindness, integrity, doing what you say, competence, that, that I'm going to learn to really do the things that I say I'm going to do, and then predictability, that then you can count on me to do the things I'm going to say. And those start to rebuild trust, and you grow as a human being and an individual along the way. So uh, if you have questions, thoughts around this, examples, go ahead and send them over to me at contact at TonyOverbay.com or info at TonyOverbay.com. And uh, I just appreciate you spending time with me here on the virtual couch. I'll see you next week and taking us out per usual, the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with her song, It Is Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the Aside the things that matter most on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.